This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R. Hello, hockey fans. I'm Paul Bruno here with Andrew Fiorentino, and we are the great ones. Well, it's October 22nd, and we're reviewing the second week of the NHL season, where we have lots of storylines due to major injury news, some surprising names moving up on numerous rosters, and our first coaching change of the young season, Andrew. Why don't we begin with that coaching change, and let's get your take on what went wrong in Columbus to cost Todd Richards that gig, as well as what you expect from a guy who you've seen up close, John Tortorella. Sergei Bobrovsky's confidence, as he told the media, was, and I think still is, totally shot by their first few games in which he's just he's just a sieve. Richards is getting a little bit of flack for sticking with Bobrovsky, but he had a, a real Sophie's Choice there, I think, with Curtis McElhenney as the backup. I kind of blame a lot of what happens here, not on Richards, but on Jarmo Kekalainen, who somehow thought that signing Curtis McElhenney to a two-year contract to be the backup was a good idea, who didn't bring in a lot of defensive depth, leaving them with you know kind of young and inexperienced players who have never played big minutes on the blue line. So I think that was uh, really not a fair situation necessarily for, for Todd Richards. As for Torts, I don't see him as the cure for what ails this team, pretty much for that reason is that I think the, the roster actually is not as good as it could be and not as deep as it could be. He doesn't know these guys very well. He did have Brandon Dubinsky serve under him for a while in New York. I just don't know if shouting at these guys is really what's going to fix what's going on here. They need more depth on the blue line. They need a better backup goalie so that they have someone they can turn to with confidence when Bobrovsky is hurting or unconfident. I have to agree with you there a little bit. When looking at this roster at the beginning of the season, I kind of thought 
we should give them a bit of a pass because of the injury list that they had last year. But really, apart from quite a bit of quality depth up front, I agree with your assessment on the blue line. Beyond that first pairing of David Savard and Jack Johnson, there's not a whole heck of a lot there. Uh, Feder Tutin is a guy, a former Ranger, who has some upside, I suppose. But beyond that, boy, you're hard-pressed to find any quality back there. And Bobrovsky's not playing anywhere close to the former Vezina caliber that he displayed a couple of years ago. So it's a bit of a hornet's nest, and I wonder if we get, like I was telling you when we were prepping, bit of a dead cat bounce for Tortorella <laughs> when they start the John Tortorella era in Columbus but I like you I'm looking forward to his pressers and hope that somehow Larry Brooks gets flown in for a few of them uh, apart from that, <laughs> that would though, be fantastic apart from that though I think it's going to be a bit of a gong show in the long term and I have to rescind my earlier predictions about the Jackets I just don't think they're going to be that good a team this year so yeah I'm with you Tortorella eventually I got run out of town in New York and it didn't take very long for him to get run out of town in Vancouver. True enough. Well, so that's headline news, probably the biggest headline of the week, but there are a couple of other headlines on the injured list, Andrew, that bear our comment and analysis. First, in Chicago with the news that playoff MVP Duncan Keith is out between four to six weeks with a torn meniscus in his right knee. That shifts everyone up a notch on the Chicago Blue Line depth chart. I look for Nick Shalmerson and Trevor Daly to take up some of the more prominent minutes there, particularly with Daly picking up the added power play time. He was a power play stud last year for Dallas, and I think they're going to need him to do that same thing in Chicago in the short term. I also think that they are missing the depth that we have touted about these guys in the past on several shows that I've done in the past. It's just not there. Trevor Van Riemsdyk and David Rumblad will be exposed, I think, if they see too many minutes. And Corey Crawford in goal will see a bit of a spike in his goals against average. you have anything more to add there? I own Daly in a couple of leagues. And, it's I mean, it's been awful so far. Only one assist in six games. But it's good to see him getting some ramped-up power play time, hopefully, since the, the Keith injury. But, you know, 16 goals last year, kind of an outlier in his career. That minus 13 rating kind of sticks out, too. Exactly. What about over in San Jose, the newly minted captain, Logan Couture, out for the same four to six weeks with a broken foot. Your breakdown, Mr. Fiorentino. Well, there's one really obvious beneficiary here. And you talked about him in your column, which I was happy to post yesterday. <laughs> Tomas Hurdle, uh, the young Czech, now back to center. Looks like he's going to be playing the second line in Couture's absence. And I think that's just a huge upgrade for him, seeing uh, increased minutes ever since the Couture injury. I think he could really make a leap here and make it impossible for them to take him out of that top six, even once Couture returns. True enough. And I like his line mates on that unit, Joel Ward and Patrick Marlowe, two veteran guys who will ease the transition for Hurdle, I think, into this pivot role. And hopefully we'll see the Thomas Hurdle from his rookie season rather than the guy who stunk as a sophomore last season in that circumstance. So those are the two big injury notes on the season. And then there's a whole bunch of storylines around the league, Andrew, where we're seeing plenty of unexpected names who have moved up into more prominent roles than many observers, including ourselves, expected. For instance, while Pat Maroon was a nice fit, I really like that kid on with Perry and Getzlaff. He's lost that assignment to a guy, again, who you have some familiarity with on that top unit, giving them a way different look. The speed of Carl Hagelin, I think, is going to open up a lot of holes and ice space there for Perry and Getzlaff, and I think that could be a very interesting unit for the Anaheim Ducks. Yeah, but as I predicted, not a lot of productivity for Hagelin yet. 
14 shots on goal in five games, no goals, because he can't shoot. <laughs> I'm expecting a few layups for him in the next few weeks, so I'm not going to give up on him as fast as you are. I think there's a Ranger bias creeping into your opinion. Well, I mean, I thought he couldn't shoot as a Ranger. <laughs> Never any secret about that. No, can't uh, beat a goalie one-on-one, straight up. He just, he just can't. <laughs> well, I think sooner or later that, that could change just because of the company that he's keeping. I'm of a mindset that I would get about 15 goals with Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff if I could regular minutes with them. So this guy should get 15 or 20 easily, I would think, on the season. Speaking of opening up ice, Max Domi and Anthony Duclair are doing just that in Arizona, playing with a confidence and providing a scoring punch for an offense that's really clicking at a rate well over three goals a game. This is something that was uh, not a part of the Arizona mix last season, and I just wonder if it's it's something that can persist into the future. Do you like their chances of continuing at that pace? What do you see out of these two guys that, that you like, and, and is it sustainable is the bigger question, I suppose. You know, I don't think that they're going to be point-per-game players the whole season long, obviously, as rookies. Don't get me wrong, Domi and Duclair both have, I think, a lot of talents, but they are also very young. They're not on a team that has a lot of depth, which means that they're always going to be the ones who are counted on. They've never had to deal with the grind of a full NHL season. It's a big jump, a really big jump physically from junior hockey. And I think that that's going to make it really difficult for those two to sustain that production. I think they're going to clear 50 points still, sure. I mean, well, you know, that's about where I had them in the first place. Maybe now they get to towards 60 but I don't think that you're going to get this kind of point-per-game production out of them. Yeah, I think the key when looking at young guys like that is the league that you're in. Is it a keeper league? Do you have room to stash these guys? Should they falter a little bit because their long-term outlook it has more of an upside than, say, a 35-year-old guy like a Shane Doan on the same team? I'd rather take a shot at these younger guys if I can stash one or both of them in the lower part of my depth chart and don't have to keep them active all season long because I do expect that they're going to find some trials and tribulations along the way. So that's my slant. And another young kid that's caught my eye and yours too, hard to miss, is in Detroit where Dylan Larkin is bucking a long time. Wings trend of giving top prospects a long look at Grand Rapids scenery in the AHL. He's on fire on their top line and looks anything like a scared 19-year-old who could be moved to the minors without waivers. It's something that the Wings have in their back pocket. They can still send this kid back, but boy, the way he's been playing, he looks really dominant. I mean, I've, I've had friends of mine say, where in the heck did this guy come from? He just made the leap directly from junior and looks like a wily vet out there scoring regularly and fitting in on that top unit and facing the top checkers on a nightly basis. Again, they have the out after nine games if they want to send him back to the minors. There's no way he's going back. I don't think there is. It's never going to happen. And so this is a first in Detroit, Andrew. I can't think of another guy that fits this mold in recent years for Detroit. And I wonder, you're in agreement then that this guy's a keeper. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's no way that after this start they can send him back. And, you know, I think he's in a much better position for continued success than guys like Domi and Duclair who you know have to count on each other and don't really have that same kind of veteran presence that he's got playing with Henrik Zetterberg and just an applicator on the top line there. That's right. We're anticipating Pavel Datsuk to come back 
But I, I think that just... Uh, Do you think Datsuk pushes Zetterberg out to the wing and plays center on the first line and Larkin drops down? Or do you think that they drop Zetterberg down and make a more of a second scoring line? He might be a good fit with Nyquist and Tatar on that second line. I like the look on the second line that you just described there. And it takes Larkin away from the opposing top checkers and leave that to the veteran guys on the wings who will crowd a very potent top line. This is going to be a great top six no matter how they slice it. But I think they're going to try and protect Larkin on a second scoring unit. I like to see them do that for the kids' development. Yeah, I think getting Riley Sheehan out of that top six will be good for them, too. <laughs> uh, I don't think that he's a top six kind of player. Exactly. And and a guy who is not thought of as a top-pairing blue liner is just that in Boston. Their depth chart has taken a real hit on the defensive side of the puck. And most recently, Dennis Seidenberg is out with uh, what some say is a bit of a long-term injury. So there's been a lot of player movement mostly out the door in Boston, and that's given this kid a chance to get regular minutes next to Zeno Chara. Does he shape up as a buy candidate in your eyes? I don't know. To me, Kevin Miller is just a guy, you know? He's in that position, but he's he's just a guy. You watch him play, and I've seen a good amount of Bruins games, and there's just nothing that sticks out about his game. There's not a lot of offensive flash to it, that's for sure. I think even even playing with Chara, it's going to be Chara up in the zone and Miller playing safety. That's true, but I guess my vision of this guy is clouded by the fact that I actually saw his first NHL goal against the Maple Leafs live and in person. And Oh, you saw one of the, uh, what is it, five? Yeah, that's true. So <laughs> I'm not expecting this guy to become Ray Bork all of a sudden, but just by the company that he keeps, he'll be on the ice for bigger minutes than most people anticipated as a top four guy. We know Krug and McQuaid are going to play second pairing minutes there. So beyond that, it's a real gong show on, in the depth chart on that blue line. And just because he's going to be on the ice for so many minutes with top six forwards and Chara as his partner on the blue line, I think he's going to get a lot of points by accident. He might be right. <laughs> so uh, that's a that's a no-name brand addition to blue lines if you're really hurting. Not the worst pick you could make today. Speaking of picks that were made out west, Calgary Flames made some waves with the signing of Michael Froelich, Andrew, to a big dollar contract. And he's been given the opportunity to supplant Yuri Hoodler on the first line alongside Sean Monaghan and Johnny Hockey. Froelich has four assists in six games. Do you think he stays on that top unit? And what is Yeri Hoodler feeling after getting a career season and now he's not even on that scoring unit anymore? I'm kind of surprised to see that happen. I mean, it's not like Hoodler, as far as I saw, was playing so badly that he should need to be dropped down, nor that I think Michael Froelich is looking like a you know a star in the making. Four assists in six games for Froelich. Hasn't scored a goal. Is a guy with a career high of 45 points. Is pretty much always around that level every single year. I, I didn't understand the contract. I thought it was too much for a guy who is, you know, if he's on your second line, I think your team is a little bit of a problem. I think he needs to be on a, a third line of a good team. Right. And I think, you know, before Hoodler was installed on that top unit, he was the same guy as Michael Froelich. So to no, me, I think Hoodler had a lot more upside than Froelich. Well, we can argue that point at length, I guess, but I just think that they're more or less the same player and breaking up a unit that was successful is something that I don't think is ever a good idea and uh, I think maybe they're just trying to justify the big dollars they're paying for Leak here and uh, we'll see how it plays out I do think though that Udler will get some top line minutes before this season is out so don't give up on him just yet and besides they have some other players on that second line that will make him look good he's a power play specialist so uh, don't sell on Hudler just yet is my recommendation I don't know where you stand on that I've always liked Hudler. I think it's a good time to buy on him. Yeah. 
the Montreal Canadiens, this is a shocker to me. I mean, Carey Price, we know he's an all-world goalie, but Andrew, how are they doing this? <laughs> Seven and zero. Oh. Yeah, well, they're on they're on quite the insane season-opening streak, and you're talking about twenty-three goals they've scored. They've given up seven in seven games. They have a plus sixteen goal differential. That's better than any other two teams in the NHL put together. And it's not like they've been doing it against you know the basement teams of the league. They just gave up one goal in three games in wins over the Rangers, the Wings, and now the Blues, who are on top of the Western Conference. The class of the league that they're beating up on. We all thought the offense would be a weakness. They're leading the league in shots on goal and penalty killing at the same time. It's It's been unbelievable. Now, the question is, are we all on board here, or are we going to throw cold water on this fire? I'm going to come in on the side of cold water. Well, and I hope so, for obvious reasons. I'm not a big fan of this club, but I will say this. They are on the verge of potentially equaling or bettering a mark that the Maple Leafs set in 1993 when they opened the season with 10 straight victories. That was a, and That is an NHL record. Habs are 7-0. and Their next three opponents are the Sabres on Friday, the, Le- win. the Leafs on Saturday at home, That's a win. and then they hit the road to go out west and they face the Vancouver Canucks to start the western road swing. So That's the one where they take a disappointing loss. And I wonder, though, <laughs> I, I'm hoping that my Leafs throw a wrench into those plans on Saturday night primetime game at the same time as my Blue Jays come back from the depths of hell to take Game 7 in the ALCS. So I'm looking oh, forward to a, a, big boy Saturday, can dream. a big Saturday night in the Bruno household. <laughs> <laughs> so let's continue our swing around the NHL to another team that was figured to be a bit of a doormat this season. The Devils aren't earning too much fantasy hockey attention from me and you, but I'm intrigued by their top line, Andrew, where they've added Lee Stempniak to the pairing of Adam Henrique and Mike Camilleri. Uh, Stempniak, he's got a goal and three helpers in six games. This guy's a one-dimensional player. If he, <laughs> if he can be set up, he, he's got a good shot. He can skate. All three of these players are best known for their offensive skills. I look at the situation with New Jersey as kind of an all-eggs-in-one-basket approach to their attack. Is it something you're buying into with any of these three players? And uh, what of Stempniak and his early success? Is it s- sustainable here? Yeah, I wouldn't get overly excited about Lee Stempniak. Uh, never been a guy who's put up a whole ton of points in his career, you know, career high of 52 back in his second season of 06-07. The Devils are not a good team, and this is any other team, none of these guys would be top liners, is the bottom line. Uh, they're the best of the worst, and I think that their stats come the end of the season will reflect that. Well, and I tend to agree with you. I, as I've said many times, and particularly on our preview shows, there's some teams that I put a big black X through in terms of their roster. I look elsewhere. But if you're in a league that values power play points, maybe that's one reason to look at a couple of these guys as depth players on your roster in case you get a massive run of injuries up front with your top guys. You've got to look at the guys on the lesser teams who are going to get that power play time, and maybe that's why one of these guys might be attractive at some point. But yeah. Uh, I thought it would bear mentioning anyway. Yeah, I like uh, if you're if you're looking for uh, a little uh, lottery ticket on defense, uh, Damon Severson has looked nice, getting a lot of power play time there. Exactly the point that people want to hear when they tune into our show. Good point there, Andrew. In addition, in San Jose, 
you liked a fellow by the name of Jonas Donskoy on the top line with Jumbo Joe Thornton, but he's now out with an injury. Another rookie, Nikolai Goldobin, got a brief look in that spot as well, so it looks like they're auditioning a number of players, and currently it looks like they're turning their attention to a guy with a little more experience, Matt Nieto, going to get a shot on that top line. He's got three points in six games. Do you think they stick with him, or, or will they give the, uh, these rookies another chance in what looks like an early rotation to find some magic with the big former captain here? Well, it was interesting. Right after using Goldobin on the top line, they actually sent him down yesterday. Right, I know. And so, yeah, I think Nieto is going to get a, or, or Nito, as I like to call him, <laughs> <laughs> he's going to get a little bit of run there on the top line. I don't think that they want to elevate Patrick Marlowe to that point anymore. I think they understand where he's at in his career. I don't, I don't think Barclay Goodrow is particularly the answer. I think they're going to, with Donskoy back at practice, I think he's probably going to play Thursday. He might end up right back on that first line. I think you're right. You're going to see a, a few more players and a few more moves in San Jose before they settle on some longer-term situations there. But in St. Louis, they had to make a change on the blue line because of an injury to Kevin Shattenkirk. This is a guy who played all the primetime minutes for St. Louis, a lot of power play time. He's one of the league's top point-getters last season from the blue line, so they're missing that offense. And a guy that's come out of nowhere, Colton Pareiko, is making a determined bid for more playing time thanks to his impressive debut while stepping up to replace some of Shattenkirk's playing time with the Blues. Pareko has two goals and one assist along with a solid plus three and seven games played, and he's playing top four minutes on that blue line. And some people are thinking that even when Shattenkirk returns, he will stay there. Are you on that side of the fence? I'm going to throw a little bit of uh, water on that fire, too. I'm not so impressed by Pareko as others. I think he scored the two goals in the one game where he kind of came out of nowhere. They weren't really expecting him. Uh, the league has noticed now. Last four games, he's got one lonely assist despite increasing minutes. I can't imagine he's going to see the continued huge power play time that he's seen recently when Shattenkirk does come back and it's only a day-to-day injury. I don't get too excited in my view. I'm going to feed you one here because you were excited about this guy in Edmonton. Oscar Clefbaum is a guy who you really touted, so I'm going to give you a gold star for your assessment of this young guy. Finally, the Oilers have added a guy on the blue line from their raft of high recent draft picks, and this guy looks like he could be the real deal, playing over 20 minutes a game, has a goal and an assist in seven games. I'm going to give you a chance to pat yourself on the back here. Go off on Clefbaum for us. I mean... He's actually playing fewer minutes than he was last year. He averaged 22 minutes a game last year, very quietly, there in Edmonton. But I do like Clefbaum. I think he's got a a lot of long-term potential. I don't know if he's going to be quite a a fantasy stud in that he's got more of a two-way type of game, I think. But definitely like him on the blue line there. I think he's going a long way towards solidifying the defense in Edmonton, which has long been a problem. And it's good because... Justin Schultz is just a nothing. One point in seven games for Schultz on that top pairing with Clefbaum. I think if Schultz gets going, that could help Clefbaum's point totals a little bit. Right, and maybe some work if he gets some on the power play with a guy like Andre Sakara. He's also hit the ice running with the Oilers with a few points and some good offensive addition there in terms of what he can bring to the table. He looks like he's going to be a good fit as a veteran presence on that blue line. So maybe they're turning the corner at Edmonton, but I think that... uh, big rookie uh, that we'll talk about from time to time is having a lot to with that whole situation changing a little bit. I'm looking for some positive signs closer to home here in Toronto, Andrew, and I've noted that the Leafs have actually outshot their opponents by a 
margin of 177 to 163 so their first through their first six games. That may not sound like much, but they rank near the bottom of the league in shots taken and shots allowed in the last few years. I'm looking for small gains. Jake Gardner is a guy who's right now out with an undisclosed injury that may sideline him for a short while, but he looks more confident in Babcock's regime. Already has two points and a plus two in his five games. I'm suggesting people keep an eye on him because I think he might be ready to turn the corner. Do you share my assessment, or uh, should I just uh, continue to hope that the Blue Jays extend the distraction that they are from Maple Leaf fans? <laughs> well, I like Gardner. Uh, he's on one of my fantasy teams, hoping to come back from that day-to-day injury. They're saying he could be out up to 10 days. I certainly hope not. But he's looked good early on, and i got to tell you, you know who else has looked good early on? Uh, after a little bit of a shaky start, you were giving him a lot of crap, but Jonathan Bernier has been very, very good for the Leafs the last two games. Uh, you know, they lost both of them. But they're going to do a lot of losing. It's not necessarily his fault. No, not many goals allowed. That's true. And really, the, the shakeup for Bernier occurred in the referring to in this uh, little run that he's had, where during a play stoppage after a tough start, Babcock singled him out in a scrum and said, Bernie, you've got to be better. And he really took that as a challenge to his shaky role, holding on to that first goalie assignment in Toronto over James Reimer, who seems to have come to the party ready to play this year and really ready to challenge for that opportunity. So that's a good situation for the Leafs because competition will bring out the best in these guys and at that critical position can only help this team as they look for baby steps toward improving their lot for the next couple of seasons, I think. And a guy who is looking for baby steps anywhere in the first three seasons of his career, a real fantasy disaster as well as an on-ice disaster. When you make a first overall pick, on a guy like Nal Yakupov, and you look at his minus, I think it's a minus 70 over his first three NHL seasons, never reached the 20-goal mark, but look at him now, all of a sudden, six points in seven games. You may have heard of the centerman that he's playing with, Connor McDavid, who also has six points. Can Yakupov continue this? Are we finally seeing the first overall talent from this kid that could make him a fantasy stud before this season is over? I mean, it's all about, for a guy like Nal Yakupov, the guys you play with, and and confidence. I think he really lacked confidence at a lot of points early on in his career. He came in and was expected to be, you know, the first overall pick, savior kind of player. He's not that guy. Playing alongside Connor McDavid, it's a great position for him. And I think, yeah, you're going to see a really seriously good season from the Yakupov. The question is what he's going to do in the rest of his career if he doesn't always have Connor McDavid by his side. And that'll be the true test. And when we were looking at our preseason assessments, I get to give myself an early pat on the back too here, Andrew. So we're kind of one and one in that category. If you listen to my Goldie assessment in Ottawa in our preseason show about the Atlantic Division, you would have grabbed Craig Anderson, the veteran goalie who started all five of the Senators' games to date. He's 3-1-1 and one with a 2.53 goals against average. That said, Andrew Hammond gets the nod on Thursday night at home against New Jersey, a soft touch on the schedule where I guess the coaching staff was looking for him to get his feet wet and uh, hopefully challenge for that number one job. But I think it's Anderson's to lose. Do you agree with my thoughts in that regard? Yeah, I think I I would say that I agreed in the preseason also. This is Anderson's job. I'll take my own share of credit for that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, come on. Then it's one and a half to a half now. That's right. One and a half to a half. Great success. (laughs) Excellent. Winning by two halves. (laughs) But yeah, no, Anderson, I I just don't think that he's anything more than an average goalie. 
Uh, he can be really good in stretches of time, but I think it, it ends up averaging out a lot of the time. But I just don't think Hammond is anything near the guy that he showed down the stretch last no, year. No, that was lightning in a bottle last season. I think I liked Anderson's profile as one of the team leaders in Ottawa over the last several years. He's getting up there in age for sure. But I think in the dressing room, this guy is the chairman of the board, and I think he gets a lot of respect from his peers in that regard. And that's why, from the dressing room's point of view, I think it's a popular thing that he's off to such a good start and has both hands on the wheel in terms of taking that first-string goalie assignment in the early going. You know, Hammond is is going to put up a 38-save shutout tonight because we said this. <laughs> but keep in mind, he's doing that against a pop gun offense in New Jersey. So uh, you got to also keep in mind. Oh, that's in mind. true. They're not going to take 38 shots. <laughs> yeah, they might take 38 <laughs> shots in the next five games. So <laughs> In Winnipeg, they snapped up a rookie at the draft a couple of years ago by the name of Nikolai Ehlers. And at the time, the assessment of many pundits was that this guy could be the most skilled player to come out of that draft. He's finally getting a, a first taste in the NHL on a sustained basis, making a very good impression and taking advantage of a skill set that includes his blazing speed and really good hands. I wonder about this guy's hockey IQ, though. He's on a line, a second line, that takes him away from the, the opposing team's top checkers, already has four points, two of which are on the power play, playing alongside Mark Shifley, who we really like on this program, and Matthew Perot, a veteran second liner. This could be a pretty good unit for a long time in Winnipeg this season, and uh, Ehlers... Uh, early start may be sustainable in my opinion, Andrew. I saw his only goal, unfortunately. Uh, came against Henrik Lundqvist and the Rangers. Oh my god, what a shot. <laughs> it, it was... I mean, it, the, the stunning thing to me is that it's his only goal so far, because that was a beauty, that he scored on Henrik Lundqvist off the underside of the crossbar. Moving over to Calgary then, another western Canadian province, the Flames have placed goalie Kerry Ramo on waivers to me, Andrew, this is a very surprising move. Well, Rama had been really, really bad. Uh, just got chased from his last start, but it, it does seem like an early overreaction after he's a guy that you know they stuck behind that got playoff starts last year. He's had three starts. Two of them were really bad. One of them was good against Winnipeg, but he lost all three. And then they they cut him loose. But, you know, the, the Flames were running with the three goalies on the roster. They've been carrying Ordeo, and I've never been a big Ordeo guy, but and there it is. I, uh, I guess if you're a Jonas Hiller owner, you're pretty happy about that because it certainly gives him the number one nod by default. But getting Ramo to go to the minors is going to be probably an easy play for Calgary because of the $3.8 million cap hit that this guy's carrying on his expiring contract. And I don't think we've seen the last of him. I think it's just a chance to get him and his head straightened around so that he can come back and challenge for a role. So if you have Ramo, don't just jettison him just yet. I think you'll see him back in the Calgary situation. Did he clear waivers? Has he cleared waivers yet? Because he was placed on waivers yesterday. I, I know he was placed on waivers. And I, my thing, Andrew, is that I don't think that anybody's going to pick up that tab and, and they'll be able to put him down to the minors and where he gets He's only on a, a one-year contract. Right. But it's three point eight million bucks. So it is three point eight million bucks. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, that's but quite a hit. Jonas Hiller's on the same hit, by the way. They uh, should just dump McElhenney <laughs> and eat the contract in Columbus and get Rama. You know what? That's a situation that might make some sense. But I think that uh, this is one where Calgary's going to be lucky enough because of the big cap hit that he goes down there. In Washington, we forecast an early opportunity for Evgeny Kuznetsov to play top line minutes between T.J. Oshie and Alex Ovechkin on their top line because Nick Backstrom was out 
for the first four games of the season with uh, an injury. Well, Backstrom is back in the lineup, but he's lost that first line role because uh, Kuznetsov has been such a good fit. He's got five assists in those five games, and Backstrom, for his part, has returned and in his two games played has three goals and two assists while centering a second scoring unit with veterans Justin Williams and Marcus Johansson. This is an impressive-looking top six in Washington. Do you think they stay status quo, or do you expect Backstrom to go back to that number one line, Andrew? I think it's a, it's a shame to separate Backstrom and Ovechkin after they've played together for so long and been so successful for so long. I mean, I I, I get it, because uh, Netsov has shown great chemistry with Ovechkin on the top line. It gives them more depth. That's always been a, a struggle for Washington to have a real second-scoring line. I think that's been one of the things that's really held them back. So I think if Kuznetsov and Backstrom create that depth for them by putting Kuznetsov on the first line and having Backstrom really elevate that second line, that's going to be a good move for them as a team. I think that's an excellent point. This is a team that made great strides last year. We saw the development of Braden Holt. He has a top-notch goalie. They've got a wealth of depth on the blue line, and solidifying that second scoring line can make them just that much tougher. We'll wind up our look around the league, Andrew, with another situation where a long-term pairing on the blue line has been switched up in LA. Drew Doughty and Jake Muzzin have now been split up. Braden McNabb has moved up with Doughty and Muzzin. It's not like he's taking a big cut in terms of his partner. Alec Martinez is a pretty good player in his own right, and there's two very solid pairings in Los Angeles right now. I like the look of these changes, and I don't think it's going to take much of a hit off of Jake Muzzin's potential scoring because he's got a good situation on that second unit, but Braden McNabb could be a real beneficiary on that top pairing. Yeah, and I've always liked McNabb, who was a you know a pretty productive player in junior hockey and in the AHL just a couple of years ago in AHL Rochester, back when he was with the Sabres organization. 29 points in 38 games. That's a really nice total for a defenseman. And that brings us through our look around the league, Andrew. Now it's time for my favorite part of the show where uh, we've incorporated this, our look at the stud of the week and the rant of the week. I'm going to serve it up to you to talk about the stud of the week. We both agree on this, and it's something that is not getting enough play in my mind. Why don't you go off on the, the stud of the week that we've identified uh, this time around? Well, this is a guy who's been the stud of a whole lot of weeks in his NHL career. I think he's going to be the stud of a whole lot more. It's Alex Ovechkin, the scoring machine, 30 years old. Now he's on the wrong side of 30, right? You hit 30, now you're on the wrong side. Yeah. But four goals already in four games, trying to work on his third straight 50-goal season. As you pointed out, Paul, to me in the, in the pregame, as it were, <laughs> <laughs> that Alex Ovechkin, with 479 career goals in 764 games, has a higher career goal-scoring rate than Wayne Gretzky by by a, a nice little margin, uh, 626 to 601. He needs 415 goals to tie Wayne Gretzky for the NHL record. You think it's doable? I think it's doable, right? I certainly think it's doable. I mean, certainly we're not expecting Ovechkin to continue to score at the rate that he has been, but he's got a big leg up on the pace that he needs to reach uh, what 99 did and he's doing it at a time Andrew I mean I'm a little older than you and I can recall the era that Gretzky played and the goal scoring that he did he did it against goalies that were not equipped as well as the guys now and not nearly as good as the collection of goalies that we're seeing he played in an era where offense was the name of the game I suggest to you and our listeners that the game has changed it's become a lot more defensive minded and we're not seeing players get 80 or 90 goals a year 
that's why to me Ovechkin's performance stands out so much in terms of what he's done to date and I really like his chances of coming very very close to what Wayne has done provided of course that he stays healthy and that's the big wild card but this guy's a runaway locomotive he gives more than he gets in terms of the physical side of the game and uh, as long as that equation stays the same I really like his chances to make a very good run at Wayne Gretzky's formerly untouchable marks so uh, full value for our stud of the week with a good early start he's well on his way to another great season Andrew yeah I want to uh I want to back that up by saying, yeah, I mean, you're talking about when Wayne Gretzky was playing, the average save percentage in the NHL was hovering around 900. Uh, last year was 915. That's a, a really big difference. It is. It is for sure. Wonder how, would he have scored 80, 90 goals uh, in, the, in that era? Well, you have to wonder, and, and that would only pad the numbers that he's produced to date, so it makes the case even stronger for what Ovechkin is doing. I don't think he's getting near the recognition that he is in terms of that uh, career-long chase. But I think before too long, we're going to start to hear that. And we like to break that kind of ground here on the great ones. That's what makes us the great ones, too. So <laughs> we've referred to Gretzky. We can refer to ourselves in that way. We swing over now to the rant of the week. This is a part of the show that I really like to go off. And uh, I'm sure you, you will have an opinion on this situation, too. My rant for this week is the whole issue of running into goalies on scoring plays. Andrew, you'll recall that your pal, <laughs> one of your favorite players in New York, Chris Kreider, ran over Carey Price a couple of playoffs ago, and that play effectively ended the Canadians' run in the 2014 against your beloved Rangers. What you may not recall is the fact that the hockey-mad province of Quebec was up in arms over that horrible foul perpetrated on their MVP goal. They <laughs> sure were. I fast-forward to last week where the Wings of Detroit visited Montreal, and super-pest Brendan Gallagher ran into Detroit goalie Peter Mrazek and got a goal for his troubles. In my opinion, Andrew, that goal shouldn't have counted. The Montreal player essentially launched himself at the defenseless wings goalie who backed off just enough to allow the puck to dribble past him. In fact, he propelled it in himself, but none of that would have happened if Gallagher didn't do his impression of a bowling ball and uh, knock uh, Mrazic's pins out from underneath him. How do you like that pun for a reference? This time, fan, Hab fans were in favor of the good goal call, Surely, though, Morazic was a bit more concerned for his welfare due to Gallagher's reckless act. That play, just like Kreider's earlier foul, should be penalized heavily, let alone disallow any related goal-scoring event. It's not like a fourth-and-goal plunge from the one-yard line. This ain't football. Let's get that crap out of the game and protect the goalies because they are not in a position in those circumstances to do anything but repel an oncoming blow. Andrew, I know you have an opinion on this, too. Yeah, you compare it to football, I'm going to go in the other direction and say that Brendan Gallagher was doing his best Chase Utley impression. <laughs> and we know how popular that played. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Gallagher, you dive skates first into the goalie. I certainly, I do remember Chris Kreider, he went more of a, a headlong way into Carey Price. I, I tell you, I mean, uh, that was the the series where Dustin Tokarski really broke out at the time as the Canadians' backup played really well against the Rangers in the rest of that series, but I think the wind really did get taken out of their sails. I don't know if the Rangers would have beat Montreal that year if not for Carey Price being hurt. And that's just the impact of that kind of a play, Andrew. When you take out an opposing team's goalie, you make things a hell of a lot easier for yourself, but it ain't right Back the way... A lot of teams. The, it ain't right the way that they did it, and think that the powers that be in hockey need to clean that up. Well, that brings us to the end of another show that we hope you have found informative entertaining. 
This is Paul Bruno on behalf of myself and Andrew Fiorentino signing off for the great ones on Rotowire's Fantasy Show. Don't forget to look out for our next show as we continue our coverage of fantasy hockey storylines from around the league. So long from the great ones. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R.